Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman. And today we are thrilled to welcome one of the stars of the beloved show, Little House on the Prairie. She's also the author of the bestseller, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated, and also the creator of some of the best social media content around, Allison Arngrim. Allison, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. I just dropped my ear. Did you say creator? Some of the best social media I content do, around. I do believe that. And I, mean, I, I will. I've talked to Ike about that all the time. I think you're fantastic on Facebook. Wow. Well, you know, I'm, I'm on here. I'm picking things up off the floor. I'm on Twitter, but I've only made like three videos. I need to. I, yeah, not I don't think you're TikTok. not as big. I've TikToked, oh, TikToked three times. <laughs> I'm, I'm Twitter. I'm very good on my Twitter, my Insta, and my Facebook. I've only talked ticky talkied uh, three times, but I still have like an insane number of followers. Um, I'm on, I'm on your Facebook lives. I'm always on there. So. Oh, good, good, good. I cameo and um, there's something called memo. I'm like joining this week, I think. There are too many. Oh, oh I wow. Make, I, make, I, make it a, I make it a Roku channel. <laughs> I got a YouTube channel. I have two YouTube channels, um, but I make it a, a Roku too. Oh God. I'll have to follow I don't know how stuff. you do it. I swear to God. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're just energy incarnate for one thing. I have no idea how you do it. Cause like we do this show and I'm exhausted after the hour, hour and a half and I need to take a nap and, and, <laughs> and a break. I have tea, uh, coffee, coffee. And actually I'm, I'm totally exhausted. I got my flu shot the other day and I actually was going to ask my doctor. <laughs> I'm completely exhausted, like taking naps. I can't stay awake, oh, wow. um, but I'm feeling better now, actually. I don't know. Maybe it was the flu shot knocked it out of me. The last few days, I'm like totally awake. I, don't, I didn't know. There's, there's nothing wrong with naps whatsoever. Well, <laughs> I, was, I was in France. I was in France I for saw. like six weeks. And then I come back and then it's daylight savings. Right. So I was like, uh. jet lag and daylight savings at the same time. I was like, hey, what day is it? So I think that really messed me up badly. So yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll jump right in here. Um, so you're friends with Ike and Ike asked you to be on. And no sooner do you say yes, than Little House on the Prairie comes storming back into the news again, <laughs> which is good timing for us. Are but we ever out of the news? We're never out of the news. I know. Always that's, that's what I'm saying. It's, a bit, it's got to say something to the show's popularity that yeah. and how loved it was that something from 40 years ago can still generate headlines. I mean, does it surprise it's you at all? 50. It's going to be 50. 50. That's all I know. I, yeah. And during, the, during the pandemic, everyone yeah. figured out we had an episode called Quarantine and an episode called Plague, and like we were in the New York Times. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Hottest, hottest 50 year old show next to Star Trek. I'm telling you. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, well, we'll talk about Little House, but, but since, okay. since Little House memoirs are all over the news, uh, and you know, Ike has written a memoir, which is going to be shopping next year. And I, I read it, went right through it totally engrossed. And afterwards, he said uh, that yours was the gold standard and suggested that I read it. I did. And he was so right. It's funny, touching, and also parts heartbreaking. 
There were a lot of things in there about Little House, your family life, uh, a lot of funny stories about things at school and your personal life away from the set. Uh, you dealt with, you detailed Joe uh, with abuse, which I won't go too much into that, but I think people should go buy your memoir, but, and I strongly recommend that they do, but, and you overcame so much. Uh, did you find it cathartic to write that? Kind of, kind of, I mean, I've had a lot of, a lot of therapy, um, as you know, every now and then I will refer to my three shrinks over, you know, 22 odd years, people will say, you know, do you think you're slightly nuts? I said, no, I got I got a piece of paper, all three shrinks says I'm allowed out, but yeah um so yeah massive massive therapy so parts of a cathartic i find that you have to be careful both in in acting and writing to not say well this will be therapy mm -hmm. um the great uta hagen the acting teacher even said acting is not therapy acting is like more like what you do with the stuff you just processed in therapy you know she said don't come in here with your your stuff you haven't like worked through yet and go i'll use this in my acting because we'll be you know taking you to the hospital it's it's no that's it's um when you write a book yeah you want to talk about stuff that you may not have talked about. You want to talk about things that are real and, and honest and that, that people can identify with. But remember, you're not just as much as it feels like, oh, I'm writing this by myself and it's my therapy, it's my journal. No, you're, you're writing a thing for other people, total strangers to hold in their hands and read. It's a, it's a writing seems like a solitary pursuit, but it's not. It's this crazy oh. group effort. You have your publisher and your agent and your editor, and but <laughs> the cover of my book, you liked the cover of my book with I the did. hot pink and the crazy. That was like a four-way phone call to New York with me, my literary agent, uh, somebody from HarperCollins, and the art director talking about exactly which shade of pink. Wow. And and like emailing the like the Pantone number cards, like, well, this shade of pink or this shade of pink. I can't even tell on my computer. They all look like mauve. I have no idea what the hell you people are talking about. Um, and we picked the right pink though. I mean, but that kind of just this group thing, it's a thing. And then you're you're communing with people. You're kind of when I recorded the audiobook, I got the best advice because the woman who directed me is amazing. She's directed a lot of people's audiobooks. She said, okay, remember when you're reading this, people are listening to this in their car with the windows rolled up or with like headphones. You're in their head. You have to go easy on them. You have to talk slowly when you're reading it. And when you get to like heavy or upsetting parts of your book, you need to kind of slow down and soften your voice because it's like a horror movie and the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> you're like in their brain, you're in their body. So you can't shout at people when you're doing the book reading. You, you want to, but like during the audiobook, you can't go blah, 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 because you'll, you'll, you'll like kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have a lot of input in the, in the cover? I'll just, I'm asking because I know when my books came out, they, they said, what would you like to see on the cover? And I gave them this whole detailed thing. Oh, we love it. We love it. They didn't use anything of it. <laughs> Nothing. Right? So. Oh, oh, I said, do I, do I get a lovely picture of myself <laughs> on the cover? They said, no, no, we're going, we're going with the Nelly four by four thing. We're <laughs> I went, well, <laughs> Marie Osmond had this book. And they went, yeah, you're not Marie Osmond. Just, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we'll give you a lovely author photo on the flap. You'll be on the flap, dear. Get over it. Uh, 
Ooh. But then, of course, like it was the greatest cover of all time. So when I saw it, I went, it looks like a circus poster. And they went, yeah, the little dots are kind of like running lights. That's what we're going for. I'm like, uh, it was oh, almost blue. It was, it was almost blue. There was a test run that was blue. And we were like, that ah, big. Oh, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when I first saw it, I just said this, this was inspired, you know, obviously in, need to be wrapped around an inspired book. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Well, you can yep. see it from across the bookstore. For in the bookstores, is blazing yeah. hot pink. Oh, yeah. And you see that thing. And the great <laughs> thing about it is between the title and the picture, if you knew nothing about Little House in the Prairie, you could be in a store and go, ah, what's that? The hot pink. And then it says bitch. And you go, well, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to go buy this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was to say that later, but even if you're not a Little House fan, I, I found your memoir fascinating. I, I just, I thought it was something that, you know, if people just like entertainment at all, you know, looking behind the scenes of a, you know, a big show. A lot of, a lot of cuckoo pop culture history yeah. in the 70s and 80s. If you're into Absolutely. like the 60s and 70s and Hollywood, it's like, yeah, a lot of that. No, absolutely. So I, we touched upon it at the beginning with, you know, Karen Grassley, who played yeah. Caroline or Ma Ingalls. Her book just came out. And it details her experiences. She accused Michael Landon of sexism and, you know, far different than what he appeared to be on the show. The funny thing to me is that you had a lot of the same things in your book. <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, I definitely not the same tone as she had, but you, you liked him and got along great with him. But I was surprised that it caused such a stir when it's kind of already been out there. <laughs> You know, these right, things. Right. All the, the basic information that she talks about that Michael Landon drank, that Michael Landon smoked, that Michael Landon was married three times. This has been out there since, well, really the 1980s. Um, <laughs> everyone knows this was in Melissa Gilbert's book. It was in my book. He, he talked about, I mean, this was a man, you know, he went to the Playboy Jazz Festival at the Hollywood Bowl every year. He wasn't playing the fiddle. That's just, you know, he drove a Ferrari. It's, it's, it's who he was. Or, you know, I, I said the other day, I said, you know, those three women who married him, they didn't marry him because he, he took them to a church picnic and played the fiddle and built him a cabinet. It, it, it wasn't Paul Ingalls. They married him because he was exciting and crazy and sexy. And that, you know, that's why people liked him. There's a lot of that on, on the show. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I want to get back to you. Uh, you come from an acting family. Your father was an actor and later a manager. Your mom was very big in voiceover and she was Gumby. And I always want to follow that up with damn it. But uh, <laughs> she was she was also Casper, Davy from Davy and Goliath, Polly Purebred from Underdog. Was that a badge of honor to you as a kid? I mean, were your friends like oh, super impressed? <laughs> God, yes. And more so in my 20s, because like a lot of like college nerds, <laughs> heavily, heavily into the Gumby and the Underdog and stuff. Um, <laughs> So when I was little, they weren't sure whether to believe me because kids are at different levels. Some kids are like, well, cartoons are real. What do you mean you're Gumby? Gumby's a little guy. He's made of clay. What are you talking about? Um, and then other kids are like, oh, okay. It's, you know, Hollywood, it's voices. I knew from when I was really little that cartoons were grownups went into a studio and talked into a microphone and they, somebody drew pictures. I, I got it. I went to the studio with my mom when I was really little. And so I saw them make cartoons. So I understood that cartoons were not real we're not like real real um and i would watch cartoons and i'd go that one's my mom okay that one's my mom and that one's my mom it's like two-thirds because she was in other cartoons she was like a guest smurf and mm -hmm. she would pop up in other cartoons just like she was just her voice was coming out of the tv um she did i, I talked about the book she walked she would walk me to school when i was really little like second grade and the children had heard and would say can you can you do casper would you do casper and she'd stand there at eight in the morning 
with her hair and curlers and like a house coat going, I'm Casper, the friendly ghost. <laughs> she, would, she would do it. She would very dutifully do it. And then years later, I'm like 21 and they, I'm partying and these college boys are like, could you, could you please talk like Cumbie, please? <laughs> I have to ask, did she like the Eddie, Eddie Murphy one? <laughs> she did not. No, I she did not. Um, she was okay. She liked Saturday Night Live, and she thought Eddie Murphy was all right. But the Gumby, damn it, she said, "No, no, that's not Gumby." <laughs> so it's it. She's like, "No, no, it's not it." Uh-uh. That's funny. That's really- <laughs> there's not a whole lot of us out there who have had a Saturday Night Live uh, right. spoof of our career or our character. I mean, has there been a Nelly? Has there been a Nelly skit on SNL yet? No, there was a Little House skit. Uh, gosh, I think it was, was it like Lorne Green was hosting and they did a gag and it was best little house on the prairie and he was in the barn and like taking money and it was like, yeah, it was like all oh, rats and everything. They did that. They did do a prairie sketch. Um, they haven't done that. There's been a lot of Nelly. There's a there are a lot of drag queens dressing up as Nelly also. Let's just <laughs> uh, really like you could fill a stadium. I, you know, I, w- I would have assumed that, but now that you put it that way, oh my gosh, of course. Why not? Absolutely. Of course. There's, there's a guy in Argentina who has an entire show called Nelly Olson. Wow. And all I don't know, I'm dying. I would kill to see this show. Anything. I want to go to Argentina, see the show. I want to meet this guy. Um, no clips I've on seen the poster, and it's this rather swarthy, dark-skinned man in the Nelly wig looking very <laughs> angry. And that's all I've seen is the poster. And I was like on the floor going, I need to see this <laughs> show badly, this bird Nelly. So there's a show in Argentina. Um, there are there was, of course, the comedy group, the Nelly Olsons, uh, Nora Burns, other comedy groups uh, out of New York, the Nelly Olsons, four-person gay and lesbian comedy troupe. Very, very funny and outrageous. Uh, they gave me the wonderful phrase I still use. You people are nothing but Conestoga wagon trash. Um, <laughs> see, me? Brilliant. Yeah. Um, there are in Europe several bands called Nelly Olsen. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a band called, oh gosh, I can't remember. And his orchestra. It's a very strange band. And they have a song called The Family Ingles. It's all in French. It's a French band. Mm. Uh, and um, there is the chorus is about Nellie Olson. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would think that you're probably one of the most popular ones on the show. I mean, just out of the character wise. <laughs> it's a foreign kind of thing. I, I have admitted that, you know, Nellie was, you know, she only knew Laura really for a brief time. And Nora, uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder based the character of Nellie Olson on Nellie Owens and a girl named Stella Gilbert and a girl named Genevieve Masters. Genevieve Masters, I know, lived in um, Desmet, South Dakota. So she kind of mixed the three so that she could have Nellie continue through the teenage years in the books. Nellie, Nellie was gone. She like, moved to Oregon. Um, but so she added more Nellie. But Nellie really expanded in the show. She had way more to do in the show than in the books because it's a great character and you need a, you need trouble. You need an antagonist. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like Little House on the Prairie takes place in Kansas and there's nobody around and the books are like, they move all the time. But Banks of Plum Creek, they chose for the show because they go to town and suddenly there's a doctor and a teacher and a store and people you can interact with and then like oh and a villain we're done so yeah so it was there but i think i did i kind of fonz fonzarelli 
that part a little <laughs> yes. bit and made it more popular. Absolutely. <laughs> you mentioned I wasn't. You mentioned Lauren Green. I mean, I read also. I did a lot of research for you. You coming on? I read that uh, a lot of the scripts were recycled Bonanza ones. <laughs> that happens a lot. Like, if you ever watch like Fantasy Island and Love Boat, and you go didn't I just see this? Um, and then they used to say hotel was Fantasy Island Love Boat scripts like put together and thrown up in the air and then they come down. Um, so yeah, it's, there's a lot of recycling and, and Michael had been on Bonanza for 14 years for God's sake. So he knew what worked. He'd been there forever. He knew things that worked. So sometimes you go, you know, we did that thing on Bonanza where the guy comes down, it was great. How would that work with like TV characters? What would what would Mrs. Olson say? What would Charles say? Wait, this, this is much better. It'll work better on this show. Let's do it. so. There was there was a lot of that, um, and then we were also doing because like the books, you know, as, as Michael once said, there's a whole chapter on how to make an apple fritter. I'm not filming that, and you'd run out of material. You 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 know you'd start shooting if you shot it like in sequence following the books. By the third season, Laura would be seventeen and married, and the show would be practically over. It's it would you'd run out of material. So they said, okay, well this is the premise now. How do we expand these characters? What adventures do they have that maybe maybe Laura had and didn't tell us? And they just started coming up with stuff, and it wow. got it got some of them was really really good. So there you go. Uh, now, you came from an acting background, like we mentioned. Is it something that you wanted to get into or your parents kind of like steered you there? Both. I mean, I was auditioning as a baby, so obviously I didn't pick that. <laughs> but, but I didn't book either. It was, um, I never did book. I didn't book as a baby. I, um, my Screen Actors Guild card does say member since 1967. So <laughs> I did get work by five. Um, and uh, late bloomer and then uh and i you know commercials and little things and i i kind of enjoyed it and then um i was a panelist on a show there's you know how you had kids say the darndest things well everybody had to rip it off so there was a show called juvenile jury on another network and i was one of the smart ass children on juvenile jury so i was the kitty carlisle of the third grade um <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. I like that very much. And so there was a stand-up comedy thing kind of happening early on at six and seven. And then when I got Little House, I enjoyed that enormously. I really liked playing Nellie Olson. I thought, oh, well, this could catch on. Um, so I liked it. It was very hard work. And there were days where I like, how do I get out of here? Like the days when I would pass out from the heat, I'd be lying there going, what was I thinking doing this um i need to get out of here but then then i when i woke up i go yeah okay uh, <laughs> so i i did enjoy it so by the time i was like functional enough to make any decisions i was like oh yes no this is a great idea but my whole family everyone we knew did it i i think i even said in the book at one point that until i was seven i kind of thought everyone was on television like yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone's got a yeah. show <laughs> show 15 minutes Everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. And it happened. And it's true. It's true now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, I, read, I saw, I, I watched clips of it. Your first fall was in Throw Out the Anchor. What do you remember about uh, that movie? Gosh, it's one of the worst movies possibly ever made. <laughs> um, they tried, sort of. No, they didn't try. That's the problem. They were just kind of like, oh, I guess we're making a movie. Um, you had the gorgeous and wonderful Dina Merrill, the post 
era. She was uh, she was marvelous. Dina Merrill was great. Richard Egan, huge star. Richard Egan, for God's sakes. And and that's where it just kind of stopped. Um, then they just sort of randomly assembled some people, some of whom were actors and some weren't. And I'm not sure what happened with lighting. If you've tried watching that, it's not your television. There just is, it's everything's just dark. Um, I don't know what happened with the lighting and the camera work at all. It's kind of, it looks like a horror movie or something. Something's like wrong. It's supposed to be like a takeoff, like, um, Houseboat, the old Sophia Loren and Cary Grant made a movie called Houseboat. And it's kind of that, just not very well made for like 10 cents. Um, I'm kind of good in it. I've watched it several times. I'm this nice little girl. My dad, uh, Richard Eakins, my dad, and I have this cute brother. And we go to Florida to get a houseboat. And the houseboat's not ready because there's a crazy sort of Mr. Edwards guy, like Cap Cupper is name, and he's drunk all the money and it's a disaster and we have to rebuild this houseboat. Chaos ensues. Um, but then it takes a dark turn and it becomes like this echo terrorism um, screed where, uh, because my character wants to save all the animals and they realize they're going to destroy the river, they're dredging the river. So the locals band together and blow up a barge and um, it's suddenly like a um, radical uh, eco-terrorism film. <laughs> and it's like what is happening in this movie um this is very weird i'm not bad i've watched it several times i actually had a friend a very good actor say you look like you were kidnapped from some other film <laughs> and like just like forced to be in this movie because you're like really good there's all these people sort of crashing into the furniture and you're like good why are you in this movie <laughs> so oh. <laughs> after that how did the little house come about if you want to learn French, go get, um, I have DVDs of it. Uh, they put it out in France in DVD oh. with French subtitles. Because it's like, they think it's an art film. They don't, they don't, they don't, yeah. Um, yeah, so I had just, I had done, done Throw the Anchor, and then I wasn't working much. Uh, I was 11, and my father gave me the speech that, you know, you're not yeah, booking. Ike, you probably know this one. No, you haven't been booking. You know, many child actors stop working in adolescence and then maybe they don't work till after they're 18 or maybe you know they don't work again and this is a very realistic and proper speech which many child actors should be warned about that this can totally happen but it was kind of weird at 11 to have someone sit you down and say well your career is over that you're washed up oh yeah i mean that was always the terrifying thing and um and and I heard it was you heard it everywhere. Everyone talked about it. The agents talked about it. The directors talked about it. Everybody talked about it. And and you know it's not like we didn't have enough anxiety as young professionals. Now we're already having anxiety about our careers being over before we get to you know high school. So yeah, that was a very that was a very big big pervasive uh, fear. Yeah, it was like your meter was running and you were like planning your retirement at 13 because yeah. you didn't know when this was going. It was so weird. And because, yeah, it was sort of like, you know, being being with, with like an athlete or something. Well, the legs go first, you know, you have to plan what you're going to do because you can't play baseball. <laughs> for, it, yeah, I, it was so odd. And so I got the whole speech like, well, yeah, I might be done. And um, and then I got Little House. Mm. And um, so it was hysterical because so technically when people say, how are you making a comeback? I go, Little House was the comeback. <laughs> that uh. was my comeback. Well, I'm on my 57th comeback. Um, but it, it, I read, I read for, I, I came in on a go-see, you recall, they, were, they would do that. We're making this show. Blah, blah, blah. And then I came in and I read for Laura. 
And then I came back and read for Mary, like, no. And then um, they make the pilot. And then I come back. So it was like months later. And I, I hadn't read the books and I was utterly clueless. And so I didn't know there was Nellie Olson. So I got mm. the pages and was stunned. And I turned to my father and I said, this, this girl, this, this girl's a total bitch. And my father starts laughing and says, like, read it. And so I start reading it and he's in hysterics. He says, okay, don't touch it. Because was that my home? It's the best home in all of Walnut Grove. He says, don't touch it. Don't rehearse it. Don't read it. Just put the pages down. Don't even look at them. You just, just, just go read it like that. I go in I read, and there's Michael Landon and Kent McRae and Dead Friendly. And I read the thing and they're laughing their asses off. And they're just hysterical. And I'm like, okay, I'm killing. And they said, could you do it again, please? And I said, oh, yes. What would you like me to change? And they said, nothing. Just read the thing about the house again. Because <laughs> then, yeah, we have three sets of dishes. One for every day, one for Sunday, and one for when someone very important comes to visit, which we've never even used yet. Because you don't know anyone because you live in freaking Walnut Grove, Minnesota, you idiot. And it's a very funny bit. And I guess I got the joke, not every 12-year-old did. And mm. so they went berserk and they hired me on the spot. <laughs> on the spot. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That, that is amazing. Great. Well, it's, it's it's like, you know, I mean, everybody, we are, it's, it's, it's it seems silly to even say, but it's like you were born for this part. I mean, like this, it, it was just you just walked right into it and and took it over and and my goodness i remember first watching the show when i was a kid and i i hated your guts instantly i loathed you and then when i had to work with you you were the only one that terrified me i said i'm not sure that i want to meet allison i don't know if i want to meet this person because you know one of the things and i'm sure you've gotten this direction in your past but by and large, you know, when you're dealing with any actor, but, and, but particularly ch child actors, um, the direction that comes at you the most is just be yourself, huh. you know, just right? be yourself. Yes. So all I could think of was there has to be a whole lot of Nellie and Allison for this to work so well. And I'm not sure I want to find out about that person. <laughs> When you're a kid actor, and I, uh, Jodie Foster's talked about this, and so they kind of made it difficult as an adult, and this is why a lot of child actors have trouble transitioning to adult, because they're told, oh, just be yourself. And somewhere, I guess the acting family said, I said, why would I want to be myself? That's not why I went into acting. I went into acting because I wanted to be somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That's fun in that. And I had played like, um, throw out the anchor. I'm probably more being myself. I am being a nice 10 year old girl who likes animals and is a tomboy and wants to run around in the woods. And it's like, okay, yeah. so it was more me. Um, and then with Nellie, I went, this is like crazy upside down opposite day because I was shy. I was beaten up by bullies. I was much more the girl who would get clobbered by a Nellie than, than the Nellie. I was more Laura mm. than Nellie. <laughs> and I certainly wasn't the rich girl on the block. I mean, when we started the show, we were living in a little apartment in West Hollywood. Melissa was in her big house in Encino. It was a little, you know, town mouse, country mouse kind of thing. And it was crazy. And here I was playing the snooty rich girl, lording it over her. And, you know, her mom had a Rolls Royce. And my mother took a bus. And it's like, what? what? Uh, <laughs> so it was so upside down. And that's what made it great. And the outfits. I had a friend come to the set and said, this is the longest I've ever seen you wear a dress because <laughs> I was totally jeans and sneakers. So yeah. So Nellie, I mean, yeah. I mean, in the morning when I haven't had coffee, 
people are annoying me. I, yeah, I could totally go that way. Um, <laughs> it's just those days where you just hate everybody. You're just like, God, I'm just so sick of people. And you just, yeah, you just want to go. I did, did, did. Yeah, yeah. So you just let that out. But yeah, boy, I mean, she was so many things. I mean, the running joke about not being able to cook. And of course, I do nothing but cook and now have a cooking YouTube thing. It's so, yeah, it was like opposite day, which was wonderful because I was able to just go and be this other thing and vent all my hostilities and yeah, and scare people. I'm like the least scary person in the world. I'm scaring people. You yep. even, what was it like? Okay. And I mean, like I'm interviewing you, we're doing this in a couple of weeks. Um, what was it like though, when you came to the set? And because we you know all of us are now writing our books and talking about the set a lot. Well, it was like you come to the set and there's all these people and you've seen them all on TV. You've seen them and now they're all here. And evil, scary, awful bitch in the curls is even here. And I was I was mean to you in the episode, didn't I? Your your pitiful immigrant poor family. Yes. Oh yeah, that, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I I haven't seen the episodes in a really long time, and I'm going to make it a point to watch them before. It was German and your mother's English wasn't so yeah, good. A, 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 a Russian, <laughs> Russian immigrant. Yeah, I did two episodes and and and, it, and the second one's the one that I remember the least. But I think the first one I did, Theodore Bikel played, we were Russian immigrants, Russian immigrants, although I think my character was born in the United States. Right, so right, right. I had Russian parents and... and I, I got him here. That. You were Victor Piatikov. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Eric Schiller, I don't know. Yes, yeah, Eric that... Schiller, the German boy. Yes, and you're there we go. Yes. disgusting. Your filthy, disgusting immigrant, impoverished <laughs> foreigner, foreigner parents, who I and exactly. Mrs. Olson wish to discriminate <laughs> against massively. Yes, that's that's who you are. Yes. So I was well, also. Of course, I was pleasantly and comfortably uh, not surprised, but but uh, but. Um, relieved when i found out you were just an amazing actress and, <laughs> and not really this this evil thing um but no i mean i you know and i've said this to you personally and we will repeat it again next time we we get together um that that was just one of the very best sets i've ever been on period i mean just period and i i have i have such you know, my time at Disney, because I was at Disney for, um, for three years, and I, you know, did a lot of, a lot of, quite a few projects over there. And it was such an amazing family environment that I loved so much. I mean, the, you know, every member of the crew was so wonderful. They all loved working for Disney, and they always seemed to get great cast, you know, great cast together. And, um, and I adored it. And the only other set, or production I've ever been on that I liked as much, if not perhaps more, and was envious of was the set that you guys had. I mean, you had fun, but yet you were mm -hmm. serious. It was like everyone yep, yep. was having fun. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden, boom, when it's like, no, we're ready for picture, boom, everything like, okay. it, it switched gears Excuse like me. a they, like they a light call switch. Your neck. The megaphone would come out, Allison, please, and you run down to that set and go, yes. And, and someone's like action, and everybody's like, yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. Like when people are saying, okay, so Karen's written this book. It's like everyone, okay, Jack the dog is going to write a book from this show. Fred the freaking goat, Henrietta the chicken. I, want, yeah, I was going to say, want... I think it's probably the one show that's going to have more memoirs than any other show in, in the history of show I, business. I want Rachel Greenbush to write her book and call it Carrie Speaks. <laughs> <laughs> Poor child, because it's um, so yeah, I remember, remember, and she she didn't get she she didn't get along with Michael Lannon. Um, you know, he he wasn't everyone's cup of tea because he was so 
driven. I mean, I said once as a teenager, I said, I love working with him and he's awesome and hilarious and I wouldn't want to live with him or be married to him for all the tea in China um, yeah. because I think it would drive you mad. And that kind of manic genius energy. I met I met Carol Spinney, the guy who was um, Big Bird and, and uh, Oscar the Grouch. And we talked and compared Jim Henson and Michael Landon. And at one point he's like, Oh man, it's the same guy. Um, the constantly driven, the getting up in the middle of the night going, I have an idea and driving everybody crazy um, and not wanting to go to the doctor. Uh, Jim, and so very, very similar, very workaholic and similar in many ways. And not everyone wants to be around that. <laughs> and as far as his dirty jokes, yeah, but you know, they weren't so much like grown up dirty jokes. They were more along the lines of pull my finger it, it, it was more dirty jokes like your 11 year old would tell you you'd be like really <laughs> like that wow. level of dirty joke it was like junior high stupid level but in the middle of this no matter what was happening if somebody liked somebody if somebody didn't like somebody if somebody was mad at somebody oh we're gonna go make a show now and we would all drop whatever we were doing or whatever we felt about anything, and we'd go make the show. We would just do it. It was, and that's why I referred in the book as the makeup area is the demilitarized zone, because it's like whatever you had going on. And Michael's attitude was like, I, I, I don't care who you hate. It's, 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 we're making a show. It, you make the show, and you just go and you do the show, and you can go golf, fight about it later. And that was, so everyone, even Karen, where she's talking about, oh, I didn't like this. Nope, nope, nope. Didn't really like that. Oh, I thought that was it. And then she'd show up for work the next morning and do the thing. That's what we did. So that's was sort of the miracle of Little House. And people visited our set from other shows and said, oh, you guys think you have it rough. There are people on other sets who have like restraining orders against each other. You people are so goody, goody. You have no clue how nice you all are. So yeah, no, we were actually all really nice to each other. We were disgusting. So we're spoiled. We were spoiled. So like, yeah. So, you know, and she talked about, she also, she is really clear. I mean, the press went with, as always, the most, they found like the most negative three sentences in the entire book and went, and, and then she kind of ran with it. I got to say she did. I, she went, well, I'm getting pressed for the book eh, eh, and kind of ran with it and went, yeah, I totally said that. But there's this like, huge section. She talks about when she was like making the movie Battered, you know, you know she was so drunk. I mean, because she talks about her alcoholism and how she got sober. She talks about her alcoholism being so severe about the mood swing she was having and the incredible hangovers and how she drove on Sunset Boulevard and doesn't know how she mm -hmm. didn't kill anybody. The, the introduction is her drunk on a plane on the way, the way to the set, like when she shot the pilot talking about how hungover she was. Um, mm -hmm. She's very clear in the book that her emotional issues and her alcoholism absolutely contributed to the relationship going south. So you had two people who were both dealing with enormous emotional baggage of their past and with drinking problems locked in a soundstage together all day. And so, yes, yeah, something, you know, they were either going to get married or, or have a fight. So, you know, there is clear there was an issue. And she's very clear in the book that she even says at one point, you know, who knows? Wow. If I'd gotten like sober earlier and had my act together, maybe I would have sat him down and talked to him. And maybe it would all work out. Who knows? So she's very, very clear about that and how like years later she got on the phone with him and they totally made up. 
Um, but obviously when you're in like a reality show breaking news kind of thing, I'm gonna talk about that. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned it about him joking. Uh, you know, he played this whole wholesome person on Little House, Highway to Heaven. But when he was on like talk shows like Carson, he had this what? very risque side. <laughs> you know, you saw the dirty jokes come out there. Right. People go, oh my God, I'm telling dirty jokes. Did you watch Johnny Carson? Right. Yeah, he did the thing. Oh my God, what was the one he did? I mean, uh, the whole story about that he and Johnny went to this restaurant they liked and accidentally after dinner backed over and said, I think I ran over cat. And he's like, you know, I think that's the owner's cat. And it was like this whole to do. And so they come back to the restaurant and um, Michael's called ahead and had them redo the menu. And the whole menu is pussy pancake and cat flattened fricassee and all redone as, as in the same script as the menu with dead cat recipes to torment Johnny. This is this kind of thing. Um, when he had cancer, for God's sakes, when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he went on the Tonight Show to talk about it, he said, that people would come forward with cures mm -hmm. and treatments, some of them ridiculous, some of them great. And he said, one of the things I was recommended was people told me I should have coffee enemas. <laughs> that coffee enemas would really help with my energy. And Johnny Carson said, oh, coffee enemas. And Michael turned around and said, so I guess you don't want to come over to my house and pour the cream. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is how it did. So yeah, it's not like anyone who watched Tonight Show is not particularly surprised um that michael landon was a constant prankster jokester and told dirty jokes yeah and the roast he did the roasts he did all those like yeah, the, the roast of people I mean, it was completely foul <laughs> now, I, I, you you passed out the first day <laughs> oh my god it was a million it was a million degrees like how hot was it in simi valley Oh, God. it's it's always hot in Simi Valley. It's, it's just like the one spot on the planet that, that never cools down past, you know, 90 degrees. It's it's dry, desolate. There's like, I mean, you know, there's the smattering of trees, but you don't, you don't get a breeze out there. It's just like, it's like a sauna all the time. And the, vin you know, the, the vintage clothes you're all wearing, um, you know, that that was something I'm, I'm going to get back to your passing out, but but Westerns always had, I mean, the heavy wool, the heavy cotton, the leather, the thick stuff. It wasn't, they didn't know how to make lightweight clothing back then. I mean, we were always dressed in burlap. It was just, it was, it was awful. Like, like our show, they always took place in Minnesota or Missouri or something where it gets cold. And it was always yeah. shot in California in the summer. So mm -hmm. it's like, oops. Um, and like, yeah, these cowboys were dressing for November in Missouri, you know. <laughs> And we're the front. And yeah, the sun is somehow focused on Simi Valley. And then remember, this is not digital. This is 35 millimeters. So they got hot 10K lights with the smoke coming mm. out of them and reflectors. So you have this mass light to go with the blazing sun. So it's like, if it's 110, which was a normal temperature in the summertime for Simi, and you're under the lights, it's 120. Easy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm in five layers of petticoats and a wig. Like, so yeah, I dropped like a rock. I was, I, you know, I was a teenager and I was dumb and like I didn't eat breakfast. And I was just like, the world spun and down I went. Um, and if you've ever had a salt tablet shoved under your tongue by a medic or an ammonia capsule broken under your nose, or how about both at the same time? Oh, wow. It. 
Oh, wow. It's, yeah. That, that'll keep you from passing out if you have that yep. done to you, because you'll never want to do that again. Because, yeah, they yeah. cracked the ammonia capsule under my nose and shoved the salt tablet in my mouth. And I went, oh, God, that, this is a cure for something. What are you doing to me? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was so hot. And then other people, you know, Sean Penn passed out, the director passed out, oh, wow. other people started to pass out and they realized that maybe I, I wasn't putting it on. <laughs> <laughs> the amusing thing to me is that you, you were worried about being fired after you passed out. Right, oh my God, I had to get back to work. I, I, I had something to eat and I took a nap and back at it in like half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> now, how, how, how did your life change once you start real, you know, seeing that it's a hit? That, that was weird. Like, you know, it took a while because in Hollywood, we were kind of the little stepchild because everybody, people like, they like the um, ABC's family was the big thing that had like all the Emmys and there were shows and obviously things that you did mash and all the all the Norman Lear shows. All the, these were the shows that were considered cutting edge and serious and got all the reviews and it was kind of like, little house in the park went what um so they would try to ignore us but you couldn't really do it because we ratings were through the roof and we started to notice i really i guess i noticed like third season mm -hmm. it started so people started to recognize us a little bit and then the third season when things got crazy like going down a hill in a wheelchair those episodes and i guess it was probably i was 15 so that's about, yeah, like, so that's like three, four seasons in. Uh, Catherine McGregor and I went to an event in Paducah, Kentucky, the sign August, and we were mocked. It was thousands of people. It was insane. Mm. And I was like, eh, okay, alrighty then. <laughs> so yeah, it started to, people started talking about it around the third season. We kind of went and, and you'd get the ratings and you go, um, hey, this is the top 10 and we're like three. And you'd start seeing that you were number one and number two and three in the ratings and going, oh, oh, okay, yeah. And people, you know, looked at you as, you know, like Ike mentioned that you're that Nellie Olsen character. I mean, on one hand, it's, it's got to suck, but on the other hand, it's kind of great to be thought of as a badass, I mean, really. I'm so, one of the things I'm so like, oh, thank heaven, so relieved and grateful for is because I had a crazy actor family, I knew I, I knew my mother wasn't a talking green ball of clay or a ghost i knew that people went on tv and pretended to be other people that wasn't real i remember being a little kid and people coming to dinner and i saw them shot and dropped dead on the defenders or something the night before oh look there they were they were on batman and it's like oh look they're alive here they are and um so i knew it was pretend and that that was the whole point and i liked villains and characters i loved vincent price and things and i was like oh i'm the villain so I, when people screamed at me in the street and threw things and McDonald's cups of orange showed at my face during a Christmas parade, <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, wow. it wasn't me. I understood that it was everything I did. I'm being held responsible for what I did on TV, pretending to be somebody else. Um, I realized I had done something good. I mean, I knew that if I was afraid of Vincent Price and the abominable Dr. Fibes, man was doing his job right. Uh, I wasn't supposed to like him. And so when people would say, I hate you, I hate you. Like when you were just saying about how much you detested me and hated me, I was like, oh, so nice. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. <laughs> um, even when I got hit with the soda, and when I was fairly young, early on, Catherine McGregor and I went to an event at a school. When those girls kicked me in the behind and knocked me to the pavement, I'd lie in there and I lost my hot dog and my Slurpee, and and it kind of hurt, and my face hit the cement, and I couldn't get up because of the pedicabs. Um, but I remember lying there and going, 
wow, wow, what did I do that these complete strangers were so freaked out by the sight of me that they had to do that? Whoa, what have, what genie out of the bottle did I let out? And, and the same thing, getting hit with the soda. I was like, well, damn, I'm doing something right. Um, and the, the woman that did just a few years ago at an autograph show, the woman who came up to the table, she didn't ask for an autograph or say good morning she just stared at me in rage and said i forgive you and walked out <laughs> she'd been holding it in for like 40 years <laughs> <laughs> blowing but to know i mean because luckily thank god i had an acting family she went no it's acting you're you're something god no don't be yourself be somebody else i'm being somebody else it is pretend i'm in a costume i mean i'm in drag i'm wearing something i would never wear i don't even look like me <laughs> and i'm in this other i'm this other person and i'm apparently doing such a good job at it that people are angry visibly angry and frightened of me years later and <laughs> That's a hell of a thing. And I mean, this is like a dream come true for an actor. Of course, on the other hand, it's also like people want to punch me in the face. So it's like, yikes. Uh, <laughs> but I'm like, damn, damn, I'm better at that than I thought. <laughs> that is absolutely 100% the truth. I mean, it, it, it's extraordinary. And, and um, you know, I, I, I guess I feel fortunate that I always played like the nice kid all the time so people always liked me you are lovely you are a lovely person <laughs> yeah it's just it's 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 really extraordinary because you were you were and are so effective at at what you do and you know yeah considering that always amazes me how audiences in it, it really doesn't matter kind of many ways what character you play if you are beloved over time there's this there's this just this connection to that character and that sense of you that that people never ever quite get over or they almost can't they can't get past they can't really see you as a person and how that happens with movie stars and movies and TV shows just fascinates me to this day. It always has. I saw it when I was really young and I'm like you, I understood, I understood what happened on TV happened inside of a studio. Cause I grew up, my father had a live TV show in Houston, Texas, and I was visited the set and I was on the show a couple of times. So I saw the cameras and then I was at home and saw my father in the box. My father wasn't in the box. I knew he was over at the studio. So, you know, we, we, friends who didn't know and said don't they shrink them down and put them in the box <laughs> i know it's like the mike tv syndrome right um it, it's 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 just so interesting how how powerful the media that 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 is the way it imprints upon people you know and for you to have to carry that around i'm, I'm so glad to know that it didn't it didn't bother you that you you understood the positivity of 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 that I think if I had, had not had the background I had that I had not acted before that my parents weren't showing, I hadn't, I hadn't seen people play villains and then show up at my house or seen people or seen people be ghosts and cartoon doggies and like, if I didn't know that, or like, I feel horrible for like some of the kids in reality TV now, because you know, in reality TV, there's always a villain and a good guy and everything. And it's mm -hmm. all, it's scripted people they're come on they're wearing microphone packs they know they're on television it's not real um so reality tv people are pretending and they always pick like someone is like the bad one 
And that's fine if you're all in your 20s and 30s and being real housewives and you know what you're doing, but like they'll do it with kids. So some six-year-old is labeled the bad one and it's like, well, they don't know. They don't know what's right. happening. And yeah. for a very young person, if a kid who's like six or seven and really young and is playing a quote villain, even in a show, if they don't have that background or someone to go, you, you do understand it's not you. Um, yeah, I would imagine that would be horrifying. If I had thought they meant me or the, that this was my personality they were rejecting. Yeah, I think I would I would have been horrified. I don't, I'm not sure what I would have done. Um, that would have really freaked me out. But it, it was the other way around. And like I said, people were scared of me. And as someone who'd been sort of hiding behind things in school half the time to not get beaten up, I was kind of like, they're scared of me. <laughs> Fear <Yeah>. me. Um, <laughs> it was like, this is awesome. Okay, back away, all of you. Yes. <laughs> it was like, oh, thank God I might live. Like I said, small animals that change their coloring in the wild to look more like a predator. <laughs> it was like a survival thing. Um so it really, it really worked out. But yeah, I don't. I mean, if I thought it was me, or I was very, very young, or I didn't know, that would have been horrible. <laughs> um, but luckily, thank God, I was going. Boy, glad that's not me they're talking about. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Little House was required viewing in our house too. But I always looked forward to the times that Nellie came on because it was they were the funniest parts of each show. <laughs> it was, so that that to me was like always, I want the comedy. <laughs> I, want, I want to see that aspect. I, I thought about my family was talking about, it was like, oh, if I wasn't on the show, we would have totally watched it, but we would have checked the TV guide and we'd have only watched when Mrs. Olson and Nellie were on <laughs> because we would sometimes watch the Waltons and we often knew people on the Waltons who had got jobs in the Waltons. Um, but we only t liked it when the two um, the two kooky maiden aunts who made the elderberry wine thing were on because they were the town busybodies and almost naughty and kind of like bad and hilarious. So we, we would tune in for them. So absolutely, we would have tuned in for, for Nellie. I, I would have been I would have been very jealous of the girl who was Nellie. If I, <laughs> I, would have been, like, I, I just want to go through a little bit of each <laughs> cast uh, member a little bit, you know, not a few of them, not every single one. <laughs> but uh, We mentioned Michael Landon, your relationship yeah. with him. How about with Karen Grassley? Well, Karen, I mean, that's the thing. Early in the show, she was she was in her dressing room a lot i mean she was out with us sometimes but she even talked about she you know that the alcoholism was a thing so we probably would have hung out more um she was very nice to me she was very sweet and she th she thought i was funny i remember i cracked her up a couple times and that was always very gratifying because I knew she was a terribly serious actress who had come from new york in the theater and i remember coming out of that kitchen like covered in mud what happened she comes through the door and she looks at me and yes is the scene is she's supposed to be horrified and sort of laughing going what happened nelly but you see she just loses it she, she's gaining like look at me starts busting up um so yeah so she was very sweet i the scenes that we had with the ingles and everything um yeah she was and she was i said always professional it was like shocking when it came out that she was suffering from alcoholism and she got sober we we're like wow when did she have time what would you and you know she talked about no i was like drinking in the dressing room and this was happening i was hung over like when did you have time to do any of that no no we didn't it was like it was like when mary tyler moore came out about being an alcoholic and everyone went 
when? What did, did, we, did we miss that? Um, because people often do, especially women, will drink in secret. And it becomes a secret, terrible thing that people do not like the guys necessarily doing it in the open. They're doing mm. it secretly and just hating themselves and being miserable. And I remember there were a couple of times that I thought Karen seemed kind of unhappy, like she was really hard on herself. Now, of course, a hundred years later, and she talks about all these things. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, hello, of course. Uh, my favorite thing is that how close you were with Melissa Gilbert, <laughs> yes. you know, the friendship. How about your relationship with her? Well, that's the thing is we were both kind of the, the 40-year-old midgets. I mean, she had the showbiz family. Her dad was the actor Paul Gilbert. Her grandfather was Harry Crane, who created The Honeymooners. She was around show people. She was on like the Dean Martin Christmas specials, like a toddler. It's really cute if you ever see the YouTube videos. Like, well, thanks, like Dean Martin. So she, yeah, she she was in show business in a showbiz family and meeting all these people. And she knew about the business. So she had a very sort of like Hollywood jaded kind of attitude at that, you know, nine. And she was running the joint. I mean, that's the thing is she was, and the pressure she was under, she said, you know, she developed migraines as a kid. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Uh, she was technically responsible for like 300 people's employment at nine, 10 years old. Cause I mean, if she falls over, Oh, what do we do for the show? I guess we're not working this week. Um, so that's a lot of pressure on a very small child. And she also was playing a lot of herself that especially those very early years that's so her she was being mm. very her in many many scenes and her relationship with michael because her father died when she was very young and she got attached to him so there's so much of her coming out if somebody didn't like laura then that was like not liking her in many ways mm. so the pressure on her was just monumental and I think with me, she felt like I kind of understood and because she could blow off steam and we could go be ourselves and hang out together and have a good time. Uh, mm. Richard Bull, who played uh, your father. So, so Nels, I, I always say voted most like his character. Um, <laughs> Richard Bull was so sweet and kind and so smart. And I remember, um, okay, the most totally uh, Mr. Olson thing he ever said to me. So. <laughs> like sitting there in Chicago uh he and his wife are getting ready to sell the condo and move to retirement home and I'm sitting there with him at lunch and I was telling him how my husband and I had incorporated we had loose gravel productions and all the clever things I was now doing with my act and my show and everything and he said I'm so happy so oh, yes we incorporated years ago very smart he said you know I'm so happy that you've grown up to be a good businesswoman I was so worried you grew up to be a flibberty gibbet <laughs> Who says Liberty Gibbet? Who says yeah. Liberty Gibbet? Yeah. Who says Gibbet? And and we and we were talking about how I was a, I was a good businesswoman, and it was like it's Nels. We're having like a totally Nels Olsen. And um, yes, he was so sensible and kind, and which made it hilarious because Catherine McGregor could get very Mrs. Olsen. She was mean like Mrs. Olsen. She took in stray people and animals and was like a saint, but. She was cuckoo like Mrs. Olson and very eccentric and very opinionated. And she and Richard would get into it and you would, you'd go, are they rehearsing a scene? <laughs> oh, wow. Like Nelson and Harriet having an art. What is happening? Oh, this is an actual conversation. Okay. Um, and it was kind of hilarious. And he would try to try to now 
Catherine, we have to think of other. The, 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 do you remember like Proposition 13, the big tax break? Kind of oh, messed yeah. up the school system in LA because it was it was a huge tax break on your property taxes, which was cool. But you know, we had a lot of schools that needed repair in California, and oops, well that didn't happen, and things got weird. Um, so at the, the time, it seemed like a good idea. And now people are kind of going, wow, we're paid for that one. Well, at the time, Catherine, of course, was for it and Richard was against, of course. <laughs> and they sat there and I don't think Catherine even was paying property. I think she was renting. I don't know if she like understood that it was property tax and she wouldn't go save nothing as a renter. And she was saying, say, well, I, I say, man, I don't have kids and what do I care? And Richard's like, but Catherine, we must think of others. You know, the school system and the roads. We have to be responsible citizens. <laughs> Doing that whole pitch. And she's going, all I know is I'm going to save like three grand. And it was hilarious. It was, it was, mm. it was completely it was Nelson area. And finally, uh, Jonathan Gilbert played your brother. It's a wonder he never blew anything up on the set. Um, <laughs> Very Willie Olson in many ways. Um, I remember we discussed explosives several times and what you could <laughs> use around that to occasionally make a bomb. I kind of gave him bomb instructions, but um, he, he didn't burn the house down, so it's very good of him. Uh, very smart, always played dumb, played dumb and played it well. Uh, he would play dumb. The running joke was he wouldn't read the scripts, just his lines. And finally, when quizzed about this, he said, I want to be surprised when I see it on television. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why when you watch the scene somebody walks to the door and willie goes because he had no idea they were coming in i mean it's an incredible improv acting exercise what if you didn't know what was happening next in the scene and you know the famous one we're standing there at the funeral and he's being so good he's in his little suit looking down and finally he turns to me after like three takes and says who died and he's just genius stuff and he was the one of the few people he could ad lib he could make up a line or he could drop a line and they go wait that was better like the, the thing where i'm threatening him with the hairbrush get out of my room and the thing in the episode bunny he had another line but he just booked and when they said cut print uh, mary the script the woman said wait there's another line and michael looked at it looked at him and said well i don't think i'd have stayed around to talk while she was coming <laughs> with that brush I'd seen, he's right he's right he was a, but he played dumb and real. I remember one day he was giving the set teacher a really hard time. He was pretending he couldn't read this one word. And I knew he could. I knew he was faking. And I was like, later, why are you faking that you can't read? I know you could. I know you You just faked that you couldn't read to drive poor Mrs. Minera crazy. What are you doing? He goes, oh, no. You can't let them find out you're smart. They found out Melissa's smart. Have you seen the homework she's getting? <laughs> He was purposely pretending to be stupid so they wouldn't give him a heavy workload like a sister got. Wow. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's, ne that's next level genius. <laughs> yeah. uh, in your book, you detail leaving after the show after the seventh season and being somewhat upset that you never got that, you know, big goodbye with the cast until you visited again later. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. that the studio wouldn't negotiate with any of you over salaries. I mean, did you they just awful. not care? Karen talks about that, like trying to get a raise. I mean, that's one thing she bitches about in the book. But like we all, everyone in the show was like, I'm getting paid what? Um, because it just didn't pay. Okay, first we had a cast of thousands and we're going on location. So it's like, you'd got a three camera show where they never leave the studio. They never have one set. They don't yeah. leave the building. They have one set of a living room. So that's it. They didn't just spend any more money. They have three people, five, the whole cast. And like, so you have these shows where people are being paid literally 
five and 10 times what we were, five and 10 times what we were on Little House Little Three Kim. Mm. So we were kind of like, mm-hmm, but we thought, well, we do have like 57 people in the regular cast. There were episodes where the call sheet was two pages long because there were so many people in the scene. Um, so we had a lot of people and NBC was trying to, and like I said, NBC was like, constantly trying to cut corners so they didn't and the ultimate thing and i talk about in the book is that when my negotiation came to like this horrible grinding hall it was like this is so weird and my agent was like i've never seen anything like this i'm sorry i've been an agent for like 50 years in hollywood i've negotiated with all the studios i don't know what's going on this is like weird like they don't even want to have a conversation like this is ridiculous so there is this one guy this is one guy the suit from the network and he was really difficult. And the agent said, this is not normal. There's supposed to be a back and forth. This is very weird. Fast forward, Michael's doing Highway to Heaven, huge hit on NBC. And remember, it moved. It moved from NBC to CBS. Why did that happen? Michael went to renegotiate his contract for Highway to Heaven, which was obviously a cash cow of cash cows, making them tons of money and huge and successful. Guess who they sent to negotiate? The guy. The guy. The same guy who wouldn't talk to my agent and guess wouldn't talk to Karen's agent and was like impossible for everyone to deal with. And they sent him to talk to Michael and Michael was so mad. He said, I can't believe they sent this guy and he quit and moved the entire show of Highway to Heaven to another network. That is how awful that guy was. And he even like named him in the articles. And I remember when it came out in Daily Variety, my father laughing going, that's the guy. (laughs) it's not just you um so yeah there were there were people at nbc and they would they would send like the suits who were not like in show business and didn't get and would try and they just did this non-negotiable take it or leave it like you know we're working it down at the tuna canning factory and there was nothing about like well i've been here a really long time you couldn't like say oh my my episodes are the high ratings it was like shield of boom um so yeah so it was very difficult so karen was like well why can't i get a race and there were people who were not contract players they were doing episode by episode which would seem like an advantage sometimes oh i can leave to do a movie so then but when it came to pay time oh i don't get an automatic raise each year because i didn't sign that contract and so yeah a lot of people when it was over said yeah i didn't really get paid that much and even like melissa who got paid a lot she still didn't get paid what somebody like on you know friends will get paid or yeah, anybody on the through camera shows nothing like i remember a couple of years in which was obviously now a huge star she having contract negotiation she mentioned to me she, we would tell each other things that actors aren't supposed to tell each other she would tell me like how much she was making and i was horrified I wasn't mm. in competition with her. She told me what making. I went, you're Laura freaking Ingalls and that's what they're paying you. That's terrible. You should be getting twice that. I was like, you know, 14. And I was like, that's disgusting. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you ever, ever have any regrets not staying for the, for the remainder? Kind of. I mean, I thought about it. Like when you get old, you know, bird in a hand. I mean, on the one hand, I left and it was cool because I liked dinner theater and like left the house and like met people and traveled. And like that was a whole other life that I had that clearly was a good idea. On the other hand, even though it would have been like eh, money, it would have been another two years, which would add up in residuals and pension. So I don't know. I'm getting my pension. It's actually not bad. Um, but it also would have been boring and boring is like for me like fate worse than death it would have gotten boring because i gotten nice and if i thought they were see that was the thing in negotiations like 
how about this? We could do this. Well, what about this? It was like, no, no. If I thought, if they said, okay, you're going to come back and we're not going to pay you decently, but we're going to do this like huge two-parter where you like go crazy and become mean again. I'd be like, all right then. But no, no, there was, you know, they weren't going to do that. So that's why when they had Mm -hmm. the return of Nelly, where it was interesting and I was going to come back and meet the new one, Nancy. And it was exciting. Then I was like really interested. And then it was also kind of hilarious. It's like a classic Hollywood story. Cause then my agent who was at this point mad at them asked for a ridiculous, just ridiculous amount of money to come back for the one episode. And they said, okay, <laughs> because they'd already said, Michael said, get her back. And they said, but she left. He goes, yeah, I want her for this one thing, but she's going to ask for a lot of money. Yeah, 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 whatever. It's one for, it's only for one episode, get her back. Um, so they called and he said, I want. That's I, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to talk a second about uh, Steve Tracy, who played your husband, Percival. He didn't come in until later, but in your book, you clearly show what affection the two of you had for each other Wonderful. and your Wonderful. friendship. Uh, how quickly did you become friends? And can you tell us a little bit about him? Oh, instantaneously. Because, you know, you get married on TV. It's like being married off. You're like in the village waiting for your husband who you're going to be married off to and you don't even know who he is. Um, so this guy shows up and like, Melissa and I are sitting there going, is that him? Is that him? I hope that's not him. Ooh. And so finally Steve arrives and he's cute and has freckles and curly hair. We're like, great. Um, so we quizzed him, both Melissa and I like interviewed him and we liked him right away. And within a day of working with each other. I was just like, this guy is great. And we hit it off immediately, became very, very good friends. And the chemistry was there. And I remember he said nice things about me in interviews. I remember being very shocked because he was like nine years older than me. All the guys were like a hundred. They didn't hire. Nowadays, they actually worry about this. Nowadays, if they have a minor, if someone, a boy or a girl who's like 13, 14, 15, and they have to hire the boyfriend or the, they will try to get someone that age and be very like careful about the romance thing. <laughs> back then it's like we don't want to pay another under 18 year old who can only work so many hours so they'd haul in some 27 year old dude to play the teenage guy and <laughs> oh well so that's why we're all kissing these grown men um so yeah so steve was, I was like 17 he was like 28 um so yeah so he was very very nice he talked about he had had extensive theater training and improv training and in an interview i found years later like at the time they said what's it like working with this very young woman uh, Alison argram you know child actors blah 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 and she, she, he said oh no she's wonderful she has such incredible comedic timing and the chemistry and he talked about me in such a lovely professional way and about my comedic timing and he didn't have to do that he could have said, yeah, well, you know, she's a kid, but she's okay. And he didn't. He was really, really not. And I was like, he's such a professional, lovely, intelligent, nice guy. Um, so, yeah, so we were buddies to the end. So when he got sick, uh, yeah, it was, it was devastating. It was devastating. It was my best friend. And he, you know, he sadly passed in 86 from age. And that's when you began working uh, for awareness of it. You've been doing that ever since, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I started, you know, Volunteer AIDS Project Los Angeles, where I met my husband, Bob, which was totally crazy, because he was the director of the Southern California AIDS Hotline, where I volunteered. And I did, because Steve had friends. Steve had a little bit of money and health insurance kind of things. And Steve's mom and sister flew out to take care of him. And other people, that was not happening. They were alone. So they needed services like Gates Project Los Angeles very badly. So I started volunteering there and I did the hotline, all these things, and wound up starting an organization with a friend called Tuesday's Child. A guy came to me and said, we're doing a good thing just for the children. And so I wound up 
working on two stage child, helping family with children with AIDS, it's just like all this stuff. And still, still doing so. Um, there's an organization, Radiant Health, Radiant um, Health Centers, used to be uh, Orange County Aid Services, and they're having a big fundraiser on January 29th, mm-hmm. and I will be getting the Compassionate Care Award uh, and be like the celebrity of that. So buy tickets, yes. yes. Um, so yeah, so no, I'm still doing stuff. I'm raising money for AIDS organizations around the country, yeah. Uh, like I, I have a couple of books out. They're not bestsellers, but I like to joke with my friends that I'm huge in France. You really are. So how did that actually come? Am. Yes. I actually am huge right. in France. Yeah. How does that come about? That's what. That is the most insane story. So, I always liked France. I think again, destined. Like saying I was like destined to this stuff. When I was a kid, I had all these storybooks, little cartoon rats and mice. It was like, and they were always winding up like in Paris. And of course, I, I liked French food. I, my parents dragged me to French restaurants when I was like 13, 14 years old. And, and I like, of course, Claire's. Um, so I always was sort of fascinated with France, want to go. So I finally go to France, like around my 40th birthday, to be on a talk show. And that's when I find out that they are obsessed with Little House in the Prairie. It is La Petite Maison mm. this and La Petite Maison that, 24 hours a day. They have TV commercials that make jokes about Little House in the Prairie. They have movies that make jokes about Little House in the Prairie. They do the comedy sketches about Little House in the Prairie. They have expressions, coupe de bois, comme Charles Ingalls, to chop wood like Charles Ingalls. Like, yeah, you're working hard, working hard, I'm chopping wood like Charles Ingalls. Um, Wow. I was just like, this is nuts. I come out on the talk show, they start singing the Little House theme. There are no words to the Little House theme. <laughs> this does not bother them. They're just going, la, 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 like a cult. And I'm like, okay, we have a like cuckoo French religious cult that worships the Little House in the Prairie. What does this mean? And they, they're bananas. And of course, who do they like best? <laughs> Or as I said, it's a cultural thing. They don't think Nellie Olson's mean. They think she's French. Um, <laughs> they started watching Little House. Little House reruns got to France a little early. Often things in the 70s wouldn't get there till the 80s. It was like 77 or something. They had Little House. And at the time, there were like three channels. And at the time, everyone in France went home for lunch. They still, like half the country goes home for lunch. People go home for lunch. Uh, the kids, if they're close enough, will come home from school from lunch. Back then, everybody went home for lunch. So they're home for lunch, and it's there's only like two, three things on. And the news, or do you want to watch Little House in the Prairie? The entire country watched Little House in the Prairie every single day at lunch for, well, the last almost 50 years. They wow. are indoctrinated. And then it's still running. It's still running every day at lunch and on a couple of channels. And the DVDs actually came out in French first. I mean, it's that big a thing. So I started going back and then I met this guy, Patrick, and he said, hey, we could do your show in French. I'm like, what? He said, well, obviously I have to be in French and it would have to be totally rewritten. I mean, some of your jokes actually translate and make sense in French and someone's like no so we're gonna and next thing I know I'm in this comedy review all in French about Little House but it was crazy because the two of us did the show together and I didn't really speak French I I had taken it in school and I had some lessons but not very well I barely barely spoke French and he'd never been in a play before or done comedy so you have a guy who has no idea how to be on stage and a woman who doesn't speak French let's do a stage show it's like the producers it was you know springtime for Hitler huge smash everybody loved it 
So we said, oh, I guess we'll have to do this correctly at some point. So I went back to school and learned French and he figured out like where the jokes were and where to stand. And now we have like a real show. Um, it's been years now. So we had Confession d'une gasse uh, de la Prairie and now we have Le Mal au Trésor de Nelly Olson, which is Nelly Olson's trunk of treasures. It's a prop show. People pick things out of a box and we show clips. And, and it's like, I tell a story, we show a clip and he tells a story, we show a clip and there's an audience participates. And, and we did it. We find it. We obviously, we a lot of cancels, but I just finished a run in February, 2020. And then we couldn't do anything and I couldn't like leave the country. And we just managed to do it in October. Uh, you had to be vaccinated to get in the theater and people had masks and they sat further away. And if there was audience participation, I put on a mask and I'm like triple vaxxed. And we did everything in hand sanitizer and whatnot and ventilation. And by God, we did the show. And um, we did seven shows over a period of weeks and it was a smash. That's fantastic. <laughs> I was following, I was following on Facebook along with you. Now, I, here's, a, here's a quick round of questions. You don't have to answer if you don't want anything, but if you, and if you change your mind after you do answer, we could edit it out. So here we go. <laughs> well, let's shoot. I read that you're a peanut butter connoisseur. Kudos to you for choosing crunchy and not like those heathens who prefer creamy. What's the best brand? So, oh, oh, Skippy Super Chunk. <laughs> and and that, at Costco, they sell the two jars together, <laughs> best price. I read that Saddam Hussein was a huge fan of Little House. When you wrote your memoir, was there some part of you that was upset that he died and therefore couldn't provide a blurb for your book? Yes, yes, this is true. And he was just about to get season nine on DVD. So that's like a buck 75 I'm not getting. Yeah. Okay, Trivial Pursuit Wiz, I heard you are. What's your best category in case we ever play and we need to prevent you from winning? Oh, oh, that's terrible. I shouldn't tell you that. It's, um, it's actually, I think, I'm going to say, was it history? It was like history or literature. Okay. Both Ike and his Witch Mountain co-star, Kim Richards, guested on Little House at different times. Who was better? Ike. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And finally with this, is Melissa Sue Anderson on your Christmas card list yet? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think, I think she, I've always said I'll buy the first picture of margaritas. Um, you know, when we were all hang out, the 40th anniversary, we were all hanging out in New York. We did a bunch of talk shows. And, you know, we were all like going, hey, she's been, it's been six hours and she's still nice. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So, she, I don't know. She chilled out at some point. She like, a, and that's the thing. It's like I said, the, the massive pressure on us kids, being a child actor is like, you know, being a pit bull with a dog fight. It's, you know, there's all this insane competition and pressure. And, and some people just decide to go, well, I'm just going to be awful and not speak to people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> What's your personal little favorite Little House episode? Mine or, or mine? Yours. Mine? Yeah. Oh, bunny, where I go down the hill in the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> now, you broke your arm in that one ahead of time. Was that just like commitment to the role? Is it method acting? <laughs> I am so method that I, um, <laughs> I was skateboarding not very well. And um, the funny part was I wasn't even doing any stunts. I was actually standing still and simply tipped over um, like a cow. Um, and uh, this is why I always tell people who skateboard and bike, you want to wear that helmet and those little wrist pads. Had I been wearing a helmet or wrist pads or anything, and he said that none of that would have happened because I threw my arm out because I realized my head was going to go slamming into the asphalt, which it kind of did, and I had a big purple bruise, but I did that to not crack my skull 
saving myself, but fracturing my left wrist. Had I had wrist pad on or a helmet, mm-hmm. I would have simply gotten up without a mark upon knee pads. I also had like a big bruise on my knee. Had I had knee pads, wrist pads, I would have gotten up and gone, ah, ha, 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 and there would be no story. Yeah. Oh. You still keep in touch with all <laughs> the other castmates? Safety or? equipment. Wear yeah. the safety equipment. <laughs> you still keep in touch with the other castmates? I do. Someone said, how many uh, people from Little House do you have on speed dial? 16. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. My. And like I said at the beginning, you have a fantastic social media presence. Uh, I don't go to many other Facebook pages. It's too hard to just worry about my own. But uh, yours is one of them that I visit regularly. So you're uh, there for the readings? You're like watching yes, when I'm like Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. I, you're funny. We're you engage with the fans. We're the Prairie. We're yes. the second time around. We're going through Little Town on the Prairie. And I keep uh, finding new things in it. It's fascinating. That's why how I did that start? Yeah, what I, made you decide to start doing that? That's what you know, I'm curious literally okay so everything shuts down in march 2020 and i had i was going to go to rupaul's um drag con down at the la convention center i was going to go to the cherry blossom festival i had a show in new york i had like back to back to back stuff spring summer huge bookings of all over the country uh from shows to autograph things and i also just ordered books and bonnets and stuff to sell so i'm like surrounded by merch and literally i'm watching the calendar just go as the phone calls and emails come in yeah that's not happening and everything is canceled my life is canceled and i'm sitting in the middle of the floor and luckily my husband just got declared it's, it's just joke. you're an essential worker oh good um so he kept going and i said what am i going to do and he said well don't worry you'll think of something you always think of something and i think my response was yeah you're a lot of help thanks <laughs> um but he was right. And a few days later, uh, what happened is I said, well, I'm stuck here at home. I should go and read the Little House books. You know, when did I last read them? I've read them. I've never read them like in order. As an adult, sit down and read them in order and watch how the character of Laura develops and how the writing changes. And this will be a fascinating thing to do for my mind. I'll read the Little House books. And then I had just been in some workshop at SAG where they said in acting, you, know, you should read aloud more. People don't read aloud enough. You should read aloud in your home. It's good for your diction and everything. God forbid you get a cold reading. So I went, oh, hey, whatever. and then I went, wait a minute. Everybody else is stuck at home too and bored out of their mind. I will go read the little house books on my Facebook and see what happens. And, you know, I have all these bonnets here. I'll wear a different color bonnet each day. That'll be silly. So there I am in a little bonnet sitting I was actually sitting over there in front of the fireplace with little Christmas lights behind me and um I started reading book one chapter one page one little house in the big woods and I read it and people tuned in and then the next day and then I looked and they'd re-watched it and shared it and it was like 50,000 hits mm. and I went wow they're more bored than I thought um so I said I guess I'll I guess I'll Next thing I know, I read every one of them books in order. And then and then we read Anna Green Gables and The Wizard of Oz and a bunch of, and then we read all the books about Laura. We read everything about Laura. I even read Pioneer Girl, which is the whole annotated like original biography that Laura wrote. I read history books about Laura. We read it all. And then I went back and started the Little House books over and um, I'm back on Little Town on the Prairie. And we're coming up on Happy Golden Years when Laura and Almanzo get engaged. So Dean Butler usually comes in as the guest reader because he's got to do the proposal scene and the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Dean Butler gets there in like soft lighting with the book and (laughs) is like, Laura, 
would you be my wife? And women across the world are on Facebook going, ah! <laughs> uh, <on>. Yeah. <laughs> I do love the comments. I do love reading the comments. And you, you touch oh a lot God, of people. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, what, and, and, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The community. They're talking to each other. Yes. I've got, uh, there was a guy in LA and a woman in New York, and they're both very in heavy lockdown, totally isolated away from their families. They started talking to each other. <laughs> they're friends now. And people have become friends and for relationships. And then the whole thing where the senator in Sacramento, state senator, actually somebody called him up and told him what I was doing. And I got a whole um, certificate, a, a proclamation from the state Senate because uh, keeping up morale during an emergency and also raising literacy rates and uh, the works of Laura Ingalls Wilder and yeah. That's incredible. Now, was there ever any part of you, I know Ike and I have discussed this about, you know, there are certain celebrities that try to like look, shun kind of their most famous role. And Ike always <laughs> said that he's, he's always embraced it. There every part of you that always said, I wish they would recognize me for something else like, there's things but i mean what throughout the anchor i mean <laughs> um yeah i mean there were days obviously in my early 20s it was like i'm i'm i want to be the pretty girl and the sexy girl and like have people think it's like nope um so you know that was sort of disappointing but now it's great i mean i i did a movie during the pandemic i made a thing called even in dreams and it got theatrical release who the heck does an independent film gets theatrical release i, I it's a miracle <laughs> so i i did theaters and it came out on blu-ray the other day so uh, it's called even in dreams and i'm i mean again um lovely wholesome film for the whole family a young girl trying to stick to her values in the music industry and keep her band together and sing these songs her sister wrote and it's all and then she meets this evil manager who tries to manipulate her and exploit her and turn her into a sex bomb and break up the band and ruin her life yay <laughs> right up your alley <laughs> yeah it's so much fun it was so much fun to do and um yeah so i'm i as i say um if you hated me before, you'll really hate me now. <laughs> you can get this on Blu-ray. Lastly, what are your Thanksgiving plans? Turkey! Um, <laughs> love to cook, love to cook. And Bob, the husband, makes a incredible stuffing, uh, a Sicilian stuffing. His family, Sicilian originally. And there's, so it's got pine nuts and currants and things. It's really good. So we'll <laughs> be making the stuffing and then basting the turkey using my my father, Thor Arger, who made the best turkey in the world, using his uh, secret, fabulous ba <laughs> basting method and tin foil and all that. And I will make the moistest turkey in town. Because it's true, everyone. And um, this mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, gravy. Uh, There's an argument over peas. Oh, no, peas. We're going to do peas and carrots. That's it. And then uh, I think for the pie, we're just going to do pumpkin cheesecake this year as a refreshing change. Um, small, small part. It's usually small. It's me and Bob, like a couple of friends. And last year, our friend Steve, he couldn't come over. So he pulled his car into the driveway and we put all the food to part huge slabs of all the food in the trunk like a contactless pickup at a restaurant <laughs> put it on the box he drove home got on zoom put the laptop in the middle of the table and then we sat there and ate and he ate and we were like pass the cranberry sauce <laughs> and this year <laughs> doing it he's coming he's coming over this year but my friend Daniel in Canada can't make it so he'll be zooming it so we'll have one in person and one zoom guest for our turkey. That's very nice. 
Awesome. Uh, Allison, it was a great treat to be able to talk to you. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of yours <laughs> and I love your social media presence. Everyone make sure you go follow Allison on Facebook. It's some of the best content on social media. Seriously. Uh, I thank you for being here today. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank thank again, the book is Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated. I highly recommend it. I went through it in a couple of days. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just, like I said, just fascinating. Again, uh, thank, you. We, thank, we you. thank you. And, and uh, the audio book's a hoot too, because I read the audio book and people love that. They could be <laughs> I'll have to be, I haven't heard the audio. I'll, I've just read it. I'll have to listen to the audio. I hear you doing it. But uh, again, this has been uh, Pop Culture Retro. I'm Jonathan Rosen on behalf of Ike Eisenman, and we thank Allison Arngrim for joining us today. And everyone, happy Thanksgiving. And remember, please subscribe. Yes. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast. 